All right. Hello? Is this, okay, we're good. Man, what an awesome weekend it has been. We are not exhausted at all. We are good. Everything is fine. Um, oh, this moves. So two things I forgot to pack before I left. One, a jacket or any kind of long sleeve. Uh, nice. God was so happy that it'd be above freezing. I just kind of went with it. And so I look kind of weird wearing a polo right now, um, but I'm just praising the Lord that it's above freezing and the six inches of snow is melted. The second thing is a Bible. So I'm using my wife's very manly Bible here. Um, yeah, it's a good Bible, but if you see me with this, this is my wife's. It's great. It's got nice flowers on it and everything. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for your hospitality. It has been wonderful being here. Uh, Sam, my wife, and I um, have just felt so welcomed and so incredibly well-fed and just have felt your kindness and your warmness. And so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It's been a wonderful weekend. We are honored, and I'm honored to be here uh, talking a little bit about just community. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm going to start with a story. So two weeks ago was Snowmageddon in Tennessee. I don't know how Kentucky does snow, but in Tennessee, if we get a flurry, it's martial law. Everything shuts down, food off the shelves at grocery stores. You, like, only thing that's left is almond milk. No one wants almond milk. Um, everything else is gone. Toilet paper, everything. It's like COVID all over again whenever we get snow. Um, and so <laughs> when the blizzard came, and we all were just, before the blizzard came, I went to grocery shop. So I was like, I got to stock up. You know, we don't know how long we're going to be shut in. It's going to be, we might have to build a fireplace or something. I don't know what's going to go on. Board the windows up for looters. And so I went to Walmart and Aldi, got some groceries. We were going to cook. It's going to be great. We couldn't go out to eat. So we were going to cook every single day this weekend. It was going to be awesome. First day, we made mushroom ravioli. It was wonderful. It was delicious. Second day, we were out of mushroom ravioli. And that's all we wanted. And so we live right behind a Publix. My wife was like, let's go on a snow walk to the Publix. I was like, no. It's, there's 20 feet of snow outside, and it's still snowing, and it's negative degrees. And she's like, from, she's from Michigan, and her family's from North Dakota. So she's got, she can handle that. I can't. I'm born and raised in Tennessee. I don't know what even snow is half the year. And she's like, let's go. And I was like, no, let's go, no. And so we compromised and went. Um, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was actually quite nice. No, there wasn't like ice or anything. It was nice. It was like, like a nice powder. Um, we walked to the Publix, got more mushroom ravioli and other stuff, some cookies. Um, Publix has great cookies. Oh, my gosh. And their produce, their fruit was great, too. Um, and then we ate, we cooked for almost every single meal that entire week, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. I make some mean pork chops. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Great pork chops, but it was wonderful. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. And if this weekend is any indication, you guys do this very well <laughs> because we have eaten very well with you all. You've been wonderful in cooking for us and hosting and taking us places. And so this may not, you may hear this and be like, ah, that's kind of, we already know this, but I'm still going to talk about it because it's what I have prepared. And I can't think on the fly like that. So we're going to be in Acts 2. 42 through 47 to start. We're going to float around a little bit in Luke and John as well after this. Thank you all for laughing, by the way. That makes me feel good. I don't know if it's y'all just being kind. My, my old college students would not hardly laugh. <laughs> so it's good that y'all laughed. Um, 
so the title of my lesson is Breaking Bread from Home to Home. It's all about community. So I'm, the, I'm one of the campus minister candidates. I'm huge on community, and I believe that college is the closest example we can get to this Acts 2 church. Um, I, lo- I know a lot of times church communities read this chapter in Acts, and we think, we've got to get there. We've got to do that. And you know, how we've got to do that? We've got to do this and do that. I believe college ministry is the closest example we can get because it's believers together in a space all at one similar point in their time. You know, they're all in college. We're all broke. We're all, you know, studying something. We're all having late nights doing homework or studying for finals. And we're coming together in one space, breaking bread together, devoting ourselves to teaching, worship. And so I'm really passionate about this. And it's been a while since I really looked at this passage. Um, I just kind of read it and be like, yeah, plant the flag. But then I, I realized that something, I realized something very interesting about this passage. I'll just read it, and then we can talk about it later, okay? So starting in Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's wonderful. If you're, a, if you're any kind of ministry, you see that and you're like, praise the Lord. That's what, that's what we should strive for. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. But one thing I did notice, out of all these spiritual practices mentioned, one thing's mentioned three times more than the others, and it's breaking bread. It's eating. It's sharing a meal. It's, I, I've read through the Bible. I read through that, and I didn't even think of it. But then I realized it, and I was like, eating's mentioned three times. And usually in the Bible, when something is repeated, that means the author wants you to really take note of it. Luke repeats it three times here. Luke's the author of Acts. He repeats it three times here. Breaking bread in verse 42. Devoted themselves to the breaking of bread in 46 attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they receive their food. That's three different mentions of food there and eating together as a community. And so that's what I want to talk about, that there is some kind of spiritual, profound impact that we have when we gather to get together around a table and have a meal with communion, with the bread and juice, but also just a meal, just a good meal. It's, hospi- it's hospitable. It's intentional. We open our homes to one another, and we can invite people in and cook for them. We serve for them, even if it's just you know, pizza, because we can't cook, or maybe buy an extra box of ramen for someone, I don't know. It's still just intentionality, and it's building community. And I don't know how to really explain it other than that a lot of my most deepest spiritual conversations that I've had, both with college students and with mentors, and, you know, even with my wife, have been over a meal. Some of the most profound moments in my very long and extensive ministry career, probably like, I don't know, four years, um, have been over meals, Take, taking students out to lunch, being like, hey, what's, what deal? What's going on there? And it's because we're over a meal. It opens, just, it just something about it just opens us up to be vulnerable and to be um, just more loving and more receptive to feedback and to love and to care. And so I have a few places I want to go to kind of show biblical examples of the impact that meals have had the ways that Jesus used them because Jesus, some people say that Jesus was killed for who he ate with and the gospel of Luke is really like him either coming from a meal, going to a meal or at a meal. 
If you really look at it in a certain way, Jesus loved to eat. He's often, uh, he's quoted saying like the Pharisees accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard because he came eating and drinking. Um, so it has to be important, right? If Jesus did it and he did it enough for the Pharisees to accuse him of it, and he did it enough for it to be mentioned multiple times in the word, it's got to be important that we share meals with one another. I want to have a drink of water first. My wife says I drink water very dramatically. Like I haven't had a drop of water in 20 years. You be the judge of that. <laughs> Was that good? Okay. There'll be more. Don't worry. I'm very thirsty. Um, but first, I want to ask a question. How many meals a day, or meals a week? I want you all to think about this. How many meals a week do you share alone, distracted, in a hurry? How many lunches do you take in your car because you don't have enough time? How many breakfasts do you eat alone? How many dinners do you just order takeout and sit in front of the TV and, and be distracted? Or maybe you eat in the cafeteria with your headphones on? How many meals do you share in that space? where you're alone, distracted, or in a hurry? And how many of those meals could be instead shared with someone else? Someone that could have true impact on your life. Just think about that. For me, that number is very high. I, I eat my breakfasts alone because Sam leaves an hour before me, and I usually have to choke down my breakfast while our dog is eating his breakfast because he inhales his food, and once he's done, he's ready to be like, go play and stuff, and i got to eat my breakfast while he's eating. Uh, my lunches are usually... Sort of good, sort of not good. I, sometimes I'm with people, sometimes I'm not. And dinner, sometimes we're just in front of the TV because we're just tired. Um, we've started this practice of inviting people into our home and sharing meals with them, and it's been profound. It's been awesome. Just, and we have no agenda. This entire time, it's been Sam's idea. Like, well, let's just eat together. And I'm like, that's, well, I've got to preach or something. I've got to pray or you know, do something. And Sam's like, Let, let's just eat. Let's just eat and talk. That's all we've got to do. And it's, it's been wonderful so far. So... Think about that as we go through. Uh, where's my phone? I'm going to pull it all up on my, on my taser, otherwise known as my phone. The Bible's a sword, phone's a taser, you know, that's how it goes. So one interesting detail is that Paul, in 1 Corinthians, assumes that the believers would gather together to eat. In chapter 11, he says, therefore, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. He says, when you come together to eat. Not when you come together to worship or pray or read the word or teach. Those are all very important things. And that was also assumed that they would do that. But the, to the Corinthian church, it was when you come together to eat, welcome one another. And if we know anything about the letters of the Corinthians, you probably could assume that it got very rowdy. Paul, most of the, most of the Corinthians was Paul like, settle down. You know, don't do, don't do all that. But he assumed that it was going to be just a party of these rocky Corinthians gathering together, sharing a meal with one another, and praising the Lord. So that's an interesting piece. I wanted to just a little tidbit in there. Um, yeah, starting in Luke chapter 10, kind of what we read before then, the story of Mary and Martha. I knew I wanted to include Mary and Martha in this sermon. I didn't know how. And then it all just kind of tied together. Um, I'm just going to reread that Luke 10, 38 through 42 for you. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. That welcomed, that Greek word, it's Greek for welcomed. She had a sister, that, that joke didn't land, okay. <laughs> it's Greek for, well, yeah, it's fine. She had a sister named Mari, Mari, Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So right away, we get this kind of image of who Martha and Mary are. Martha is a very kind of type A, like, task-driven. She's all about the details. She wants to get things done. She's serving the food. She's making the house better. And Mary is just, you know, kind of like me. I just, you know, I'm like chilling, kind of want to sit back and sit at the feet of Jesus. And Mary is just like, whatever happens will happen. I'm with Jesus. And we see these two personalities kind of colliding, and Jesus is like, you know, Martha, Martha, a lot of times when they say the name twice, that means it's out of affection, it's out of endearment. So Jesus is very lovingly and very gently saying, Martha, like, it's okay, you don't need to worry about this. Mary's here, she's made the right choice. But the thing with that is because of this meal, we see later in John, I'm going to have you all flipping everywhere. You don't have to go if you don't want to. I know it's a lot of pages, just don't worry about it if you don't want to. But in John 11, the backstory, Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus dies. They'd become great friends with Jesus. It's mentioned that Jesus calls him his dear friend. And so in verse 28, having said this, he went, she went back and called, okay, wait, hold on. I got to go read the whole chapter because it's all so good. Do, do, do. Yeah. So Jesus is on his way. Lazarus is dead. Jesus is on his way, and as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been there, my brother wouldn't have died, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, so Martha's kind of a nerd. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not, had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Kind of cool that he was just standing there, like, she'll be here. Like, he knew, like, she's coming, she's on her way, you know? Jesus had not, okay, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So we see right here in John, the previous chapter, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, how the sheep know the shepherd's voice. I love that illustration he used about the lamb and the shepherd. The sheep know Jesus' voice and Jesus knows the sheep. And we see this perfect example here. Martha, this type A, details-oriented, very smart, very driven person, goes to Jesus and basically kind of demands a theological answer for why her brother was dead and what would happen to her brother. And Jesus gives it. He responds in a very theological, very um, logical way, like, this is what's going to happen. This is a scripture. Do you believe this? And Martha did. And that was comfort to Martha, whereas Mary, all she could do was cry. (laughs) All she could do was let the emotions just come out. And Jesus, knowing, being the good shepherd and knowing his sheep, responded in a way that Mary needed too. He felt her emotions. He was deeply moved and troubled, and he wept with her. And it was because of that connection that they had already had over a meal. Martha and Mary welcomed Jesus into their home. Jesus got to know them. And when time of trouble came, Jesus was able to respond 
and give the sisters what they needed. Empathy, theology, explanation. It was because over the meal, connections were made. Um, A personal example, my old boss at my campus ministry that I did in Murfreesboro, um, very pastoral, very listening. He, it's kind of scary how much eye contact he can make. Um, it's wonderful, though. I would sometimes go with him when he'd meet with a student and just watch him, watch the student. It's kind of weird. I was, like, taking notes of him, asking questions. Um, but it really was impactful how he could just know somebody personally. And when he and I would get lunch, I could just notice that he was genuinely interested in connecting with me. And a relationship was established over all of those lunch meetings, all of those coffee dates. And now every time I have a trouble, I can go to him and I know exactly how he'd respond and it's exactly what I need. That's what we can do when we open our doors to people. Someone that we may not even know and share a meal with them. We're connected to them. We know like, hey, this is that person's personality. They just lost you know, a relative or a loved one or maybe they lost a job or maybe they're just going through a lot of stress financially or relationally. Invite them in and just be what they need because that's what Jesus did. He's the good shepherd. We're under shepherds of that. That's one way a meal can really transform the lives of those around us. The next one is in Luke 19. I'm going to take another guzzle of water here because I'm just so parched. There we go. So this is about Zacchaeus. We all know about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, apparently, as the song goes or something. So Jesus entered Jericho. This is uh, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. Imagine, like, that's your one descriptor in the entire Bible. You're short. You know, like, there's, like, old people in the Old Testament that were, like, there's one guy that's mentioned for being an awesome, like, harp player or something, or, like, a lute player. Like, imagine, like, being so good at an instrument, the word of God mentions it. You know, that's just got to be, but Zacchaeus didn't get that. He said, short. <laughs> so, yeah, Zacchaeus, very unfortunate. So, running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that this was over a meal or even in Zacchaeus' home, but it does say that Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him joyfully. That welcomed, that Greek word that I made a very bad joke about earlier, it's the same Greek that is used when Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. And so, and it's the only other time that word shows up. So Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus joyfully. It can be assumed that it was either on the way to Zacchaeus' home to have a meal or at Zacchaeus' home. And so we know that this transformation took place in some form of hospitality, either going to or at, during. But this is just like, this is wonderful. I love this. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and we know a lot about tax collectors. We hear a lot about them in church, but a lot of times when the Pharisees would criticize Jesus, they would lump, they would like say he eats with tax collectors and sinners. 
And tax collectors, I guess, were so bad that they needed their own specification. They couldn't just be lumped in with the sinners. Like, tax collectors are even, they, they have to be pointed out they're so bad. And because they kind of were. They were Jews that betrayed their nation in the name of greed. They collected taxes for the Roman Empire, and a lot of times they could impose their own personal tax on top of the Roman tax. And so if the Romans required 70% of your income, then Zacchaeus could come in and say, like, it's 80%, and he pockets the 10, basically. And so he's even more greedy than the Romans, honestly. And it, they also had uh, the command of a local Roman like garrison to enforce that tax. And so imagine someone betraying your homeland in the name of money and using the person that is like r- ruling your homeland just to get more money. That was Zacchaeus. That was also Matthew, the author of the book of Matthew, which is really cool that Jesus redeems that and does all sorts of cool things. But Zacchaeus is his chief tax collector, and in the simple act of welcoming Jesus in, Jesus knew to call him by name and said, it is necessary for me to stay at your home. A lot of these times, Jesus kind of plays the role of host, even though he's 100% the guest. He's saying he welcomes, he's been welcomed in Martha and Mary's home, and he's the one who has to kind of end the dispute between Martha and Mary. He tells Zacchaeus to welcome him into his home, and in that, when Zacchaeus does, look at Zacchaeus' response. Give half of his possessions to the poor, And if he's extorted anything, he'll pay back four times as much. That is insane. That's basically saying I'll give away four years of my salary on top of what I've already taken from people, basically. All because he welcomed Jesus in. And so when we have that kind of interaction with people, when we welcome people in, especially non-believers, and we just show them an example of a godly, what a godly person looks like, hey, I don't, listen, you can come from whatever background, you are welcome here, we're going to feed you, we're going to serve you. You're welcome in our home. That can open so many doors of transformation and to repentance and to renewal. Um, another person, I'm going to give a personal story for all of these, I think, because I, I don't know. I don't know how much time I have. Um, has it already been 30 minutes? I have no idea. I don't know. It's been like a minute to me. I've blinked and I'm here. Um, one of my students at my college campus for a while um, was in a very bad way. He was stuck in a cycle of sin and Pretty much every Monday, I would get lunch with him or coffee, and he would just tell me about the things he did over the weekend. And I, there were moments where I thought, like, dude, this, this, this guy's a bonehead. He's not going to, there's no hell. I'll, I'll, and I told him that, honestly. I was like, dude, like, I will still meet with you. You're always welcome here. But just figure it out some, some, some way, because it's been like a year of us meeting, and there's no progress. And he's still, every single week, we'd meet up, grab lunch or coffee, and now through some miraculous thing through, well, not miraculous. It was a very long process. It was miraculous, but it was a very long process. It wasn't just snap his fingers, and he's like, I'm going to plant a church. It's a very long process, and now he's, with, he's in ministry. He's given up the ways of his old life, and now he's in ministry himself, and he's doing wonderful things. He's seeing the spirit move. He's been delivered from, you know, all sorts of sinful struggles, and he's helped deliver other people from that, too. And it was because of those moments where Myself, not to brag on myself, but in other people as well. I know Sam was very involved in his student's life, and so was my boss, Dean. We would just meet with him, pay for his lunch, and just eat together. Maybe sometimes we wouldn't even discuss what was going on. We would just talk and hang out and be a friend, you know? But he always knew that he had us to rely on. And it led to such beautiful transformation and renewal. The next example is Luke 24. I love this story. It's about the Emmaus disciples. Um, it's great. I love Jesus here. He's so funny. <laughs> it 
So, ah, dude, I kind of want to read like the whole thing, but that would take way too long. I'll just kind of paraphrase my own words because I think that will be even better. So Jesus is resurrected. He has been crucified. He's resurrected. The disciples don't know this. And there's two disciples walking along this road, um, either to Emmaus or from Emmaus. I can't remember right now. But they're called the Emmaus disciples, basically. And these two disciples are walking along. They're discussing all the events that of what happened. And Jesus just appears, you know, because that's what happens. Normal Tuesday for Jesus. He's just like, oh, what's going on? And he starts talking with these two disciples. And the disciples are like, do you live under a rock, dude? Like, have you not seen anything of, that's been going on? And they start telling him everything. And Jesus is like, oh, that's cool. Literally look at the scriptures. And here's everything that was supposed to happen. And so at the end of this, in verse 28, they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. Because, you know, Jesus is like, ah, you know, I got to keep going. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them, they took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. What a trip. Am I right? Come on. You just, <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Yeah, this is, I, I, this is like one of Jesus' funniest stories to me. He's like, yeah, I, I, I guess I can stay, you know, if you're feeding me. But then he also takes the traditional role of a Jewish host by taking the bread, breaking it, and blessing it himself. So this is another example of Jesus, even though he's technically the guest, he is playing the role of host with his uh, disciples. And when he breaks the bread and blesses it, their eyes are open and they see Jesus. Trent, like, and they have felt it this whole time, like our hearts are burning. Like, we knew something was up about this guy. We just didn't know what. And now he disappeared from our sight. And now I think definitely something is going on here. I don't know what, but something happened. But that's, what, that's another way of sharing a meal with someone can really impact someone. If we just invite people in, I've said this so many times, and just play host. Jesus can be revealed through that. We take bread and we break it and bless it. Just praying before a meal together with someone who may not be used to that, can be such a disruption to their life that they see Jesus. How many times a day do we just eat without even blessing the food? You know? I'm guilty of that. Like Mexican restaurants, they hand out the chips and salsa. It feels weird to pray over chips and salsa, so you just kind of assume they're already pre-blessed a little bit, you know? But then the actual food comes, and you're like, well, we didn't pray for the chips and salsa, so... I can't, yeah, I thank you for laughing. That means I'm not alone. But just doing that with someone is such a disruption to the status quo that it can reveal Jesus to them. I have something written here. Can't read it. <laughs> oh, I know what this says. Okay. My handwriting, I'm like a madman when I write. Um, starting out as a student, I was very involved with another campus ministry on, at MTSU. And I ended up somehow getting a Bible study with a Mormon student going. It was wonderful. But even then, meeting with him, I found out, like, do you know who Adam and Eve are? Oh, who are those guys? And I was like, dude, let's go, man. We get to have a crash course. And we would just have these awesome conversations about these wonderful things about the Bible that he had never even known over food. 
I got to reveal so much about the gospel. He didn't know David and Goliath or it was a real thing. He thought it was just a saying. Like, that's just, like, David's a random name they picked to go up against Goliath. Like, okay, John and Goliath, I guess. But it was wonderful to share those meals with him and reveal things about the gospel to him. And it was just incredible, an incredible experience. It was like my, one of my first ever Bible studies. I was like, I shouldn't be talking to a Mormon, dude. I don't even know really what a Mormon is. And they were like, you got this. And it was awesome. It was great. And so when we do that, when we just provide a disruption to the norm by blessing our food, by, you know, just being open, we can reveal such cool and new things to people. The last one, and this is one of my favorite books in the enti- or favorite chapters in the entire Bible, is John 21. This chapter like transformed me. It was amazing. I love this chapter of the Bible. So some backstory here. The disciples have seen Jesus. He's been resurrected. He's appeared to them a couple times. And they've seen him, right? This is after Peter had denied Jesus. That's very important in this story. Peter has denied Jesus. And they've seen him. And so what does Peter decide to do? He's like, I'm going to go fishing. You know, like, he's just a good old boy. He wants to go fishing. You know, he wants to, I don't know fishing lingo. I'm not going to try. But that's what they decide to do. They go fishing. They see Jesus on the coast. And they're like, he's like, friends, cast your net out on that side. And they cast your net out on this side. And they get like 153 fish. Very specific number for John to want to write down. But it is. And so they go to the coast. They see Jesus. They run. They swim to the coast. And they see him already set with a campfire and fish and bread already on the fire. Where did Jesus get that? I don't know. He's Jesus. And he says, come and have breakfast. He invites the disciples to have breakfast with them. The God of the universe appearing in flesh, he, like, we watched him die. We've seen him raise again. We felt his scars. And he wants to have breakfast. As a breakfast lover, I'm there every single day. If, if that's all it is, if eating breakfast was spiritual maturity, I'd be like a thousand years old by now. I would be, spiritually. And probably physically too, because breakfast is not very healthy. So starting in verse uh, 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. And so when we keep that, back, that background present of Peter denying Jesus three times. This is Jesus restoring Peter three times. It's really funny how Jesus kind of calls him Simon, son of John. Like, he denied me. I'm going to deny what I called you first. But he still restores Peter three times over by saying, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes. And by the third time, he's like, yes, I do. And at the end of this, Jesus is saying, okay, now you've done whatever you wanted to do. You've gone fishing even after you've seen the risen king of kings. You've denied me three times, but now you will glorify me. You will do what you don't want to do in my name, and it will be, bring, your kingdom, bring my kingdom glory. That's what Jesus is basically saying. And Peter does die for God. He's crucified, and he volunteers himself to be crucified upside down because he feels himself unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. Whew, man, that is hard stuff. 
But imagine this conversation going on, literally restoring an apostle of Jesus, the one who we see in Acts gives this awesome sermon that you know, converts hundreds of Pharisees, the same people who crucified Jesus a few days earlier. Peter is the one to pierce their hearts. That's what the scripture says. Pierce their hearts and convict them to be saved. He's restored over breakfast. That is insane that Jesus chooses such normal means to do such powerful work. We look at this in communion. It's such an example. Jesus makes himself present to us through bread and juice. That's wonderful news for us because we are such ordinary people. And it's such wonderful news for our ministry because we can also use ordinary means. Just going to breakfast with someone, opening our doors, having a meal. Maybe someone in your family or a friend has really betrayed you, maybe really hurt you, or just keeps disappointing you, keeps messing up. Invite them to a meal. Restore them to their place in your heart because that will have such a profound impact. Um, three guys in my old campus ministry kind of really, uh, they're, they're good. Praise the Lord. They're great guys. They're wonderful guys, but they have, some, have had some knuckleheaded moments. And they had one moment where they really um, humiliated me in front of a lot of other guys. And I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know how to handle it. And Sam and Dean, my old boss, kind of said, if you're going to have a talk, do it over food. And I was like, I don't know what food's got to do with it. Sure, I'm hungry. And so I took them all out one by one, had a meal with them, and I just kind of opened my heart to them. I'm like, hey, you know, this was hurtful. Why'd you do that? (laughs) You know, basically. And it opened up their hearts to kind of tell me where they were and how they felt and what led them to do that. And now all three of them are basically running that ministry back at MTSU, even though they're still students. And it was, over, it was because we had that meal, that intimate moment of eating together that I was able to kind of restore them in my own heart, but also give them a chance to be vulnerable and to explain themselves. And so what does this mean? Obviously, um, a church should, can't just eat all the time. <laughs> It'd be great. But there's other stuff too, like in the Acts 2, devote themselves to teaching, fellowship, prayer, giving as each had need. But it's important that breaking bread was mentioned three times. And Jesus, like I said, saw importance of it. And I think a lot of times we can see that and have our own idea for what community should be. But I want to quote from a book here called Life Together. It's written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not smart. That makes me sound smart. I'm not. It's just a good book. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in World War II. He openly opposed the Nazi regime, and when the Nazis basically made all forms of church illegal besides their chosen form, he went underground and formed an underground seminary full of young pastors to train them in the way of Jesus. And he wrote this book called Life Together to kind of chronicle his thoughts on what it is like to live in Christian community together. And I think it's a very good reminder that when we are in this community, to just let the word of God do its thing, let Jesus do its thing, be ordinary and let the extraordinary work through you. And so I have a few quotes from him that kind of talk about this. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more assuredly and consistently will community increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The basis of spiritual community is truth. The basis of emotional community is desire. 
In the spiritual community, the word of God alone rules. In the emotional community, the individual who is equipped with exceptional powers, experience, and magical suggestive abilities rules along with the word. How can we be a spiritual community? Let the word of God rule. What does the word of God say? Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, giving as each had need, breaking of bread, breaking of bread, breaking of bread, (laughs) and just let that happen. Because when we just open ourselves up to the ordinary, admit that we are ordinary, Jesus can use that to do extraordinary things. Um, That's all I have. I'm going to pray real quick before we worship, if that's okay. Is that okay? Okay. It's not okay to pray. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for this day that we can gather in this building. I'm in this beautiful city of Lexington that I low-key didn't know existed until like a month ago. Um, (laughs) Thank you for just everything you have given us. Thank you for your word, that it speaks through us and that it can rule everything in a spiritual community by itself. That all we have to do is just be ordinary, just eat together, and you can work through that. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the people in front of me that they are all just wonderful creations handcrafted by you that are adopted sons and daughters. And I pray that we realize that and just let you just be who you are. Lord, as we go throughout the rest of this week, hide us behind the cross. Let our actions be yours. Let our words be yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now if you'd stand and worship. We place you